going on? It is the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf and Ben Basrin alongside me today. Uh, no Israel Fair and obviously no Bick Nazar. He is back on Monday, back in his regular time slot as the Canucks get back into game action next week as well. This hour of the People Show is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And you can always text in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line, Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, a lot to get into today. We'll have Brad May joining us in a couple minutes, as he does every Thursday on The People Show, and also Harmon Dial will join us at 2.30. Ben, how's it going? I'm doing great. Doing great? I'm excited to be here. As uh, as excited as Elias Pettersson is to be at the All-Star game. Potentially winning the hardest shot competition. Yes. So that's some uh, maybe breaking news, but not really important breaking news. Anyway, uh, Elias Pettersson will be participating in the hardest shot competition once again. He's done it before. Uh, he will be in that competition with Alex Ovechkin, Josh Morrissey, Seth Jones, and Rasmus Dahlin, who is a late addition to the All-Star game, taking over for Tage Thompson, who is injured. I could see Dahlin winning that competition. He's been really good this year. He's got a hard shot. I do think, I don't know, like front, front, right? Yeah, front runner for that has to be Ovi. Seth Jones isn't very good at defense, is pretty good at shooting the puck, though. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well... I didn't – It's he's getting paid enough that I can throw some jabs at him a little bit. It's okay. That might be the most success he's had this year. <laughs> yes. Uh, by the way, so uh, I'm sure some people are interested in this as well. I don't think Horvat is doing any skills competitions, which is weird to me. I thought they all had to do at least one, but it seems like he is not doing any of them, though he will be wearing a New York Islanders jersey – and representing the Pacific Division. Which is awesome. Which is, yeah, people are, like, confused by it, but Why it makes confused? sense to me. He's, I get it. He's a New York Islander now, and he got voted in in the Pacific Division. That's all there is to it. Um, It'd be weird if he was wearing a Canucks jersey. Yeah, that would be way weirder. Yeah. Like, if he's going out there with the C still on, <laughs> Horvat in a, uh, will be wearing a New York Islanders jersey and representing the Pacific Division. But we just mentioned it. Um, he will not be, the, the Canucks are lacking a captain. Uh, and we got, we had Rick talking on the station this morning, uh, with Mike Halford on Halford and Bruff. Uh, they were talking about the leadership in the room. And now that Horvat's gone, who's going to step up? Um, he mentioned the names Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And those two are really interesting to me. And they seem like the obvious people to kind of step up in Horvat's absence. The The big part of it is, um, or sorry, not the big part. Uh, what Tockett mentioned was that they're going to have 
A's on their jersey or may have A's on their jerseys for the rest of the year, but it doesn't seem like they are going to name a captain this season. He definitely made it clear that towards the end of the season, at some point, they're going to have letters on their jersey. It might be as soon as when we get back from All-Star break, but he definitely mentioned that to Halford this morning on the show. He mentioned, you know, that other people in the room need to step up as well, naming people like uh, JT Miller, OEL, to kind of really get that leadership group and take it to the next level, but it all is going to revolve around Quinn Hughes and, and Elias Pettersson. And it does seem like it's time for them to kind of step up and take that role mm-hmm. on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing, Horvat was doing media for the All-Star game today, Bo Horvat talking to media in Florida. He mentioned that if he had a vote, he would pick Elias Pettersson as the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Do you agree with that? Like, if you had a vote, yeah. is he is he the guy you would pick? So he is the guy I would pick. I don't think it's a clear-cut decision here, though. Um, in terms of it, there's an obvious choice. Pedersen's the best player on this team. He's the most valuable player on this team. And now he's been here for four years or so. So he he kind of knows the ins and outs of the city, this franchise. He's got his feet wet in the NHL. I think he's able to take that next step, but... After Horvat left, there's not a surefire choice just because, you know, PD knows it himself too. He's a bit of a more quiet guy. You know, it, what's he going to be like in the room? Maybe he's a lead, uh, lead by example an individual, and, and that's great too. But he would be my choice. I think he'd be a lot of people in the city's choice uh, to be the captain of this team. But maybe it's the right call by Tockett to, to not do that right away necessarily. Yeah, it seems like – and the Canucks didn't rush into it either when Henrik Sedin – retired they they let the team not have a captain for a little bit and and that was probably the right choice it's probably the right choice here as well the thing that complicates it is the lack of a contract extension for Elias Pettersson right now and it does seem like something they are going to figure out or at least the Canucks are going to do everything they can to figure out because like this is this is their franchise guy right now. He's He had the lull last season, but he's shown that he can be the guy, he can be the leader of a team, not just off the ice as a captain, but on the ice. Like He's going to be the guy putting up the most points for the Canucks. We know what he can do defensively. He's setting an example at both ends. So, um, the again, the only wrinkle in that is going to be the contract extension and they might wait until he does have that in place before giving him the the captaincy but I do wonder and I talked to when Israel Fair and I were hosting yesterday we talked a bit about this I do think Quinn Hughes shows a lot of leadership qualities that kind of goes unnoticed and and what I pointed out yesterday was the and look the team may not have liked it as much as the room did but he was the one that pointed out the medicals stuff with Tanner Pearson and if he w- he was the one that was public about it and so right. players in the room I think respect a guy that will go to bat for them mm-hmm. in public I know that Satyar Shah has mentioned this on our station before that towards the end of last season when they were kind of making that playoff push Quinn Hughes got more vocal in the room he took more of a leadership role and if he's able to continue that and to keep progressing that's great for this franchise like I'm not sure and I'm not sure anybody knows necessarily who they want to make captain necessarily, but having Quinn Hughes uh, progress and take more initiative in the room, being vocal, is great for this franchise. And to have these two young stars 
really take that next step is essential for this team growing and, and continuing to get better. Do you think that, so the other name that always comes up in this conversation is JT Miller. And a lot of that is because we know we can see how vocal he is. He is a very emotional guy on the ice for sure. And we, uh, based on reports, I would say off the ice, he seems like a very emotionally invested guy in the team as well. But do you – it goes both ways. Do I ways, think he's right? captain worthy? Yeah. Is he captain worthy? It's harsh to say someone isn't captain worthy. I'll be nice and say I think there's people – in Pedersen and Hughes that should be priority in that over him. Like he's, he's now here long-term he's has the contract, but I'm not sure necessarily he represents what this franchise wants to be or being the leader of this team for the foreseeable future for a while, maybe isn't the right move. And some of the antics he's had on the ice has not had great optics. And so I wouldn't choose him to be captain, but I don't think he shouldn't be uh, an assistant or an alternate captain. Like he he has the he has the room and he's vocal and he I think, still has a voice in the right. Room. He's and it definitely is. So I think he should be part of the leadership group. I'm just not convinced he should wear the C. Yeah, and Rick Tockett mentioned that on the morning show as well. He mentioned that uh, J T. Miller is obviously part of that OEL, like you mentioned, and Luke Shen while he's with the team is still a big part of that leadership group. I've seen his name come up as as an option to be the next captain for the Canucks as well from fans. And while I, I appreciate where people are coming from on that, and I, I completely understand, and I do think he's a captain-type guy, like he's a leader in the room, you also got to factor in the age, how much you think he's going to play moving forward, and if you're comfortable having a captain that might not be with the team like, even if they keep him past this deadline or re-sign him in the offseason, he's probably not going to be with the team for nearly as long as you hope Pedersen and Hughes are going to be. Um, we do get some text, 650-650. This is from Chris the Wine Guy. I still think JT is the best pick for captain. Probably not the most popular choice, but his intensity says it all to me. And that that's part of it as yeah. well. Like, if you want a guy that... Lead, shows how passionate they are on the ice. Mm-hmm. JT is probably the the most passionate, quote sure. unquote, on I, the Canucks. I mean, how do you define passion, though? Right? What's the difference between passion and and being rude or mean to your teammates <laughs> yeah. out there? Right? Like, um, he he obviously play, is very intense. He's competitive. Coaches have called him you know one of the most competitive players that they've coached, and and that's awesome to have. I think for this team moving forward, it would be beneficial for them to have Pedersen be their captain but as I said earlier Miller has to be a part of that leadership group like he has to at least have a letter on his jersey and he has to be included in all these things because he is vocal he does have the attention of the room and if they can find a way to have a symbiotic relationship uh, as, as a leadership group and really come together in the way that we know that guys like Bieksa and Hansen have talked about that 2011 team and how that leadership group was so close-knit that it brought everybody else together if the Canucks can develop that sort of relationship amongst one another at the top, it's only going to have a trickle-down effect. And I think with everything that's gone on this year uh, and the turmoil the Canucks have uh, found themselves in, now that things are kind of settling, we know some more moves might be made, we can really start to focus, or they can start to focus uh, on having that stability 
And I think that starts with the players that you know are going to be here for a long time. And you kind of want guys to be even keel as well. And I think the the comparison that really stands out is when Henrik Sedin was named captain, a lot of people thought maybe Ryan Kessler should be the captain. And maybe because he was more vocal and he, he seemed like more of a tradi- traditional leader type. But obviously we know what happened. Henrik Sedin seemed to be the is obviously in hindsight the right guy to for the have, job for the job there right there yeah. it is yeah. uh right guy for the job and i wonder if it's a similar situation right now with Elias Pettersson and JT Miller where Miller seems like a guy that vocally would maybe be more open to media to his teammates but Pettersson is a guy that leads on the ice and and holds the team to a higher standard while also not being as like do you want your captain to be a guy that's really mad at times and, and really happy at other times? Like, do you want to ride those emotional waves? I think it's great for a team to have both. I think you want the emotions. You want that competitiveness. And I'm not saying that Pedersen isn't competitive at all. He's obviously very, very competitive. But to have that outward expression, I think, is really good for a team to kind of get you going in a room at an intermission before a game. That's great to have that vocal leader. But also the guy that is going to lead by example. You know, first at the rink, last to leave. Great practice habits. You know, Pedersen has continued to get better each year in this league, it seems. So if he can galvanize the team to be like, hey, I w- I'm working this hard and I want this and I'm going to show you, not not necessarily by the my words, but by what I do. If you can have both of those, I think that's fantastic for a team moving forward. And then you have Quinn Hughes as well, who you mentioned it, Satyar Shah has, has kind of been... Uh, talking about this as well is that Quinn Hughes is kind of a poet like when you look at him he doesn't seem like a guy that would be very vocal or would want to be and and I'm not trying to read into like who he is as a person but necessarily want to be the focal point of attention right but it does seem like that's something he's really been growing in his game and I think it's something that he and again, I don't I don't know if he would be the choice for Canucks captain just because Elias Pettersson seems like, if you're going the younger route, seems like the more obvious choice. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if they make a bunch of changes to their, to their leadership group, whether it be trading Luke Shen, and obviously uh, they've already traded Bo Horvat, if Quinn Hughes starts to be a bit more vocal and it seems more apparent from the outside looking in. I think it's all part of the maturation process too. Like now that these guys have been in the league for a few years, they have a better understanding of what it takes to play in this league and and be great in this league. And when you have that, you build the confidence within yourself and then you can kind of portray that and express that to other people. And it's just going to build the team around them. I think Quinn Hughes really um, has is, is maturing in front of our eyes. And, and if what Satyar Shah says you know, is true in terms of taking that step last year, that's a great sign for, for Canucks fans and for the organization that you have players that are going to be here for a long time that are taking those steps forward to be better, to create a winner in this, in this city. And you know, obviously it's been a very tumultuous season and there's been more losing than winning and a lot of drama filled around it. But I think these guys, at the end of the day, still want to go out there, win hockey games, and and at some point in their career, hopefully not too far in the future, want to contend and, and compete in Vancouver. And they're starting to realize what that takes necessarily. 
And unlike a lot of other sports, you know, hockey is such a team game where you really have to be on the same page as everyone else in the room. And so if they can all get on that page and the leaders can, you know, really facilitate uh, a mindset of winning and, and culture, this team will be able to take that step forward as they continue to improve personnel. And, you know, Rick Tockett can put in his systems and you're, you're seeing the building blocks here mm -hmm. that can put them to that next level. And it's ushering in a new era of like the Canucks have had so much turmoil over the last few years. Like you just want to, you want to start fresh. And I know Patterson and Hughes were also part of those teams, but it seems like picking them would be saying like, Hey, this is the new standard for what a captain should be, what, what players on this team should be aspiring to be. Whereas JT Miller, like, look, we, I think his defensive issues have been slightly overblown, but that being said, he still has momentary lapses where it's like, why aren't you back checking? And why aren't you doing what it takes to win games? And you're not showing that you are going to set the standard consistently. And sometimes he does like last year, 99 points. Like that's, that's something to aspire to for a lot of players. But that being said, if you're not doing that consistently, like guys like Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes, who maybe isn't as consistent as Pettersson, but is definitely more consistent effort-wise than JT Miller, like that's another reason you would maybe look at Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes as the guy. For JT especially, I think right now, he has an opportunity to really increase his role on this team as Horvat has left. He's going to have to play center. He's going to have to play center. He's going to have to be more defensively responsible. He's going to have to take initiative out there. And, and that's an opportunity for him to show, like, hey, I'm for the team here. Like, I'm going to put in that effort each and every night, be defensively responsible, maybe limit some behind-the-back no-look passes that lead to giveaways on the power They're play. They're so fun, though. Five-on-fives. At five-on-five. Like, it just is a lot of situations that we have seen JT Miller in this year that have been, for lack of a better word, careless. Mm -hmm. And now that he's being thrust into a center role, uh, on one of the top two lines, he's going to have to change his game a little bit. And he might have to focus more on himself right now as opposed to taking on more of a role with the team. Right. And, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's fine. You want to maximize... He's going to be here for a while. <laughs> yeah. Focus on you first. <laughs> yeah. He's got seven years at $8 million per left. You want him to be good before worrying about right. the rest of the team. Uh, it is the People Show, Josh Elliott-Wolf, Ben Bassrin. Uh, having some trouble, obviously, connecting with Brad May, but we hope to uh, later in the day, maybe tomorrow, we will get it figured out. Uh, but we are getting some text, 650-650, the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, a lot of texts saying, hey, like, why name a captain now if you're going to get Bedard in the offseason? Fair enough. Sounds good. <laughs> yes, sounds good. I don't think they're going to name a captain this year. No. I think they're going to have to go through the draft, obviously see what happens. And, you know, what we you kind of alluded to this, but, you know, his P, PD has an opportunity to re-sign here, extend his contract as of July 1st. If you don't get Bedard in the draft, and if PD re-signs and extends his contract, okay, maybe, you know, that proves he's going to be the guy. There's mm -hmm. a lot of ifs and buts, and I think the Canucks should not rush into any decision until the water's kind of cleared. Yeah. Because you don't want to get put in a situation where you have a, con or a captain on an expiring contract. Yeah. We just saw how it plays out. We just witnessed <laughs> yeah. it. Um, 
By the way, if you didn't hear off the top of the show, Elias Patterson going to be playing in the hardest shot competition tomorrow. Uh, I did want to go through this. So you and I, I wouldn't say are uh, you, you're a self-described not great skater. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm that good either. I can skate, but I, I wouldn't say I'm competing in the fastest skater competition. Exactly. If you had to compete in one of these, and I think one of them is an obvious option for you, but if you had to compete in one of these, which would it be? There is the fastest skater, which I think both of us are, are not going to do. Excellent. The breakaway challenge mm. brought to you by Great Clips. <laughs> uh, the Discover NHL Tandy Tandem, which I – Tandy Tandem. That's a, that's a tough one, uh, which I think is just a goalie one. Goalie. Uh, NHL Slapshot. So this one's – you remember last year in Vegas they had it like – uh, on the the fountains, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're doing it in Fort Lauderdale on the beach okay. for this year. Uh, accuracy shooting. Then this this is the Ben one. Yeah, pitch and puck. Yeah, so that, it's a uh, it's a combination of hockey and golf shots. I'm definitely taking that one. <laughs> yes. I know one of the sports I'm okay at. Yeah, I feel pretty confident in my ability. Who am I competing against? Do we know? You would be competing against Johnny Goudreau, oh. Clayton Keller. Who I assume does a lot of golfing. I think he golfs a lot. Yeah, he plays in Arizona. Johnny's in Columbus. Yeah. We're so, okay. Uh, Jason Robertson mm. and Nick Suzuki. Montreal's not golfing weather right now. No. But so your your main competition I'm would going be Keller. Pitch and puck. Pitch and puck. So it's using a combination of hockey and golf shots. Four all-stars play a par four. Is it on I? Oh, it's on a par four. Featuring an island green. I don't, honestly, I don't know how it's going to work. Automatic. Automatic. Uh, and then hardest shot as well. See, for me, I think I would do, like, I feel like I would do accuracy shooting. And I'm not saying I'm going to beat the guys in it. I definitely wouldn't beat the guys in it. But I would at least have a shot at not looking completely foolish mm -hmm. like I would in the other ones. Oh, I don't think I'd be able to do the other ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fastest skater, I am losing. I'm not finishing. Yeah. Uh, so fastest skater, by the way. No Connor McDavid in it. Oh, that's too it's bad. Dylan Larkin. Who won it last year? I think Lark it was Larkin, Larkin or, won it last year? I think it might have been between McDavid and uh, someone else. You want to see McDavid do it, though. Uh, that's too bad. Kirill Kaprizov, Kale McCarr, Chandler Stevenson. Stevenson is sneaky fast. Mm -hmm. uh, and and Andrei Svechnikov. But, yeah, I would like that. It's kind of weird that McDavid isn't doing it. But I guess he's... They know he's going to be going to the All-Star game every year. so you Seeing don't have Kale McCarr win would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, but you don't have to put him in it every year. Uh, Jordan Cairo won. We just uh, got that on the text box. Yeah, he is also a St. Louis Blue. sneaky, fast guy. Yeah. Uh, this is the People Show, Josh Elliott, Wolf, Ben Bassrin. On the other side, we're going to be joined by the Athletics, Harmon Dial. We're going to talk a bit about the Demco trade. They had uh, some trade tiers posted at the athletic today with him and thomas Drance. we'll get into that you can keep texting in 650 650 dunbar lumber text line as well it is the people show josh Ellie wolf ben bassford sportsnet 650 get smarter when you listen to hockey talk the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts
Welcome back to The People Show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf and Ben Bassrin coming to you live from the Kintech studio. You can always text in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we are going to be joined by the Athletics' Harmon Dial in a matter of moments. Going to talk a bit about the piece him and Thomas Drantz had today on the Athletic uh, trade tiers for the Canucks uh, as we are just... Under a month from the trade deadline. Well, over a month, but 28 days in February. Adds a little wrinkle. Uh, let's welcome him in now. The Athletics, Harmon Dial. Harmon, how are you? Pretty good. How are you guys? We are doing well. So we were just talking about it. You had a piece with uh, Drance on the Athletic with trade tiers for the Canucks. Uh, and the big one, the obvious name that's been coming up a lot lately is is Thatcher Demko. Who you, you guys had in the tough decisions category. What do you think it would take for the Canucks to make that decision and move on from him? Yeah, I think for the Canucks, a big sort of decision that they really have, really have to make is looking at his contract. I think it's got three years after this one at uh, $5 million per. It's one of the few team-friendly contracts that management has to look at and say, within the timeline of that contract, can we – take advantage and actually buy the second or third year field a legitimate contender. Because if not, you may be looking at that contract and going, we're going to waste the value on it. He's going to be UFA at the end of it. And if that's the case, you may look to cash in on him while he's uh, still regarded as one of the top net minders in the NHL. So I think that's one of the big questions that, um, that management is going to have to look at, especially where I'm going to be curious to see, if they look at the fact that they have um, Ian Clark and wonder if there's an opportunity, you know, maybe to have an external target in mind, whether it's a prospect, whether it's a potential free agent uh, target, like a Tristan Jari, right. Where they look at and go, what if we can, you know, trade Demko for a haul and then replace his, uh, like bring those assets in and then still set us up to have competent goaltending moving forward. I think it's, it's not, it's not necessarily going to be an easy move, move to, uh, uh, to maneuver, but that's, it's also the reality of looking at this roster and beyond Luke Shen realizing that the Canucks don't have a lot of valuable trade chips. And if you're going to be looking to build toward the future, you're going to perhaps have to make some, uh, some difficult decisions. Harm, that kind of goes to my next question where, you know, there's not an easy replacement necessarily for Demko. Uh, there's no heir apparent. You know, they were obviously comfortable moving Markstrom because um, they had Demko there. Is this situation, you know, kind of different then? Because we've seen over the last month and a half what the goaltending looks like in Vancouver when Demko's out. So d- does that give the Canucks organization maybe some pause as to as to losing this guy for the future? Yeah, well, it also fundamentally depends on what you think your timeline is, right? Because I'm a believer that they should really be looking at a teardown rebuild. And if that's if that's the sort of perspective you're taking, then your short-term competitiveness doesn't really matter. And, it, you know, if, if I was running the team, I, I wouldn't be too worried about finding an immediate answer. With that said, management's obviously looking at a retool, which if they're looking to turn around sooner rather than later, then that has to be a big concern, especially because starting goaltenders, you look at their cap hits, like Demko is at 5 million is, is, you know, you're going to have a tough time being able to, if you're looking externally at a non-prospect, 
finding someone to provide more value um, in terms of his cap it and, and contract. So that said, I think you have to also keep your mind. You look at a team that's been rumored to be interested in goaltending, like a, like a Buffalo Sabres, for example. Maybe that's a unique opportunity you look at where the Sabres have some really intriguing goalie prospects like uh, Devin Levi, who should be NHL ready in a couple of years. He's one of the best goaltending prospects in the NHL. The Sabres obviously are, are in a position where they may be looking to get goaltending help now rather than later. So perhaps that's an opportunity where even if you're looking to retool, you could get some assets, get a young ELC goaltender, and he could help you in a couple of years where you're not too worried about, uh, about the succession plan. So there's, there are a lot of considerations, but absolutely that has to, that has to be a, a concern or something to keep in mind if management is insistent on being competitive short-term, which frankly I don't think should be a priority anyway. You mentioned Buffalo, and a few, a few teams have come up. There's also L.A., uh, Pittsburgh has come up as well. Is there one of those that you see as the best fit? Because when I look at the the Kings prospect system, they're just they have so many right-handed defensemen prospect prospects. They have a lot of centers as well. To me, that seems like the ideal place to target if you're if you're making a Demko trade. Absolutely, I think LA makes makes a lot of sense if the Canucks are looking to uh, to go down that route. They've uh, they've had to lean really heavy. Re- lean very heavily on uh, Phoenix Copley, who, as you know, he isn't a number one uh, goaltender, even though he's been playing pretty well to give the uh, Kings stable goaltending after uh, Cal Peterson and uh, Jonathan Quick have kind of faltered. And you mentioned it, they have a lot of right shot uh, players, not only in the system right now, but prospects that are pretty intriguing. I look at a player like Helgi Grounds, who um, has size, skates well, two-way potential, top four potential, could be really intriguing in, in terms of one of the pieces that you could be looking at in a in a package back. The intriguing thing for me when it comes to the discussion about Demko and his future is we honestly don't know when exactly he's going to come back. When Patrick Alvin spoke last right before um, the uh, right, right after the Columbus game, he said that he expected Demko to be out for around another three weeks or so. So the question that I kind of have in mind is, and that wasn't like a a firm, he's definitely going to be back in three weeks. It was a rough timeline. So I'm thinking if I'm a team like LA or or Buffalo, if I'm looking to make the deal at the deadline, I'd want to be confident that Demko's healthy and I'd want to have a chance to see him get back to action before I'm willing to give up significant assets for that. So I wonder if that's Demko's health and his return to play is one of the sort of dynamics that could make this more of an off-season decision rather than necessarily a trade deadline one. Yeah, so I was going to ask about that because it's interesting. Like, if he was playing right now, teams would have a general idea of where he's at, but obviously the injury uh, throws a wrench into that. Do you think it makes more sense value-wise from the Canucks' point of view to do it at the deadline when maybe a team, like we just mentioned, the Kings, who are gearing up for a playoff run but need a goalie are are potentially going to be desperate, or in the offseason when teams have more of a, a clear picture of what their cap is going to look like and, and what positions they're going to have to target for the next season? It's tough because you, if you're the Canucks, you almost have to think about it more from the contenders' perspective and what would give them the most confidence and belief that Demko is, um, is healthy, playing at his best. You mentioned it, one factor that could make a team more, um, more interested or, or really looking to get it done at the deadline is if they're 
you know, whether it's a Buffalo or an LA looking at their playoff situation and looking to get the boost this season. But also, like I kind of mentioned, if I'm a contender, there's also part of me that's wondering, okay, Demko's coming off a tough season this, this year and, um, and he's been hurt. So especially he has, a, has had a, a track record of injuries earlier in his career. So I'd, you know, if I was in a contender's position before I give up a lot of pieces, I'd want to be confident that he is back to playing at, um, at an elite level, that he is definitively still one of the top uh, five, seven, ten starting goaltenders in the NHL. So from the Canucks' perspective, you almost kind of have to weigh those two factors because you could kind of argue it uh, either way. Harm, something not a lot of people have talked about necessarily when it comes to the potential move if, if Demko were to be traded where we talked about where that leaves the team in terms of being competitive for for the next few years how how does that impact the Elias Pettersson uh, potential contract extension if you move Demko and you're not competitive for the next two or three years do you think that has an impact on Pettersson wanting to be here and, and to sign long term here not necessarily knowing what direction this franchise is then moving in what all comes down to how you sell your plan, sell your vision, right? Because if you can articulate a clear reason why you believe it's in the franchise's best interest to move on from Demco, if you can articulate how you can still turn it around in a, in a medium term sort of timeline, then I think that makes it a much easier sell than if Patterson's looking at um, any potential move and he's left in the dark or unsure about Okay, how are they going to find a succession plan in that? So I, I honestly, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's hard to hard for a player like Pedersen, if I was in issues, to to know or, or have a confidence level until the move's actually made, right? Because you don't know what they're getting back. You don't know what they'd be looking to do with the cap space that they'd um, that they'd pick up. You don't know what other moves could potentially get done in the offseason to carve out cap flexibility. So. Demko, yeah, he's one important part of it, but if I'm Elias Pedersen, I'm still wondering about the bigger picture direction, the bigger picture plan, and I'd want management to clearly lay out a blueprint for me to feel uh, to feel confident about that. And it's not necessarily so much about just the Demko uh, side of it. But look, guys, if you if we talk about the path to getting this team back back to eventually being a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, I think there's no, there should be no avoiding the, the reality that it probably is going to take some short-term pain. I think there's no real way around it unless you continue cutting corners, unless you continue trying to make a win-now moves, which ultimately lowers your ceiling and has resulted in the Canucks being in this mess in the first place where they have perennially, perennially, annually sort of been in the discussion for are they going to make the playoffs in the wildcard race rather than actually building toward a long-term plan of being one of the elite teams in the NHL? So I think equally important should be the desire to show Pedersen, if you're in management shoes, that you're committed to building an elite team, not just an average one that can squeak into the playoffs. Management's been pretty clear that they want to build a team and get players in that are 25 or younger, uh, can play fast, yeah, Demko's 27 years old. Jim Rutherford has, has been pretty clear that this is a two or three year process. If if they take the stance that you're kind of 
articulating, you know, maybe that's longer than that. He gets into his early 30s by the time this team's actually competitive and not just competitive to make the playoffs, but competitive to contend and and to win the Stanley Cup. Then he's in his early 30s. Is that a concern for this team moving forward that they just won't be using the best years potentially of Demko's career because that'll be during the short-term pain, as you alluded to? Yeah, well, I think a big part of it is it really comes down to how much cap flexibility can you generate within the next couple of seasons? I'm highly skeptical that they can do it in a meaningful enough way to where they can completely overhaul a blue line that only has one legit top four defenseman in Quinn Hughes, as well as replacing Horvat now down the middle. I think there's a ton of work to be done and you can only do it unless you're able to move out some of these difficult contracts, which last summer, for example, management uh, wasn't able to, uh, to do. So I think, And Rutherford, when he spoke to us a few weeks ago, straight up said that, look, we can't really make the moves to overhaul this roster in the vision that we have until we have cash to play with. So I think the first step in sort of determining what what the timeline kind of is, is whether they can accomplish that or not. Uh, Because if you if you're in a situation where, okay, you are miraculously able to clear up a ton of cap room then maybe you you still and and you get a get breaks going your way you have like a perfect off season then okay we can have a conversation about can you back can you get back to being competitive in let's say three years in which case you may still look at Demko and say we can still build around him but if you're unable to carve out and move out some of those contracts like whether it's a, a, a Tyler Myers um, figuring out a solution for Brock Besser Connor Garland a lot of these those players, if you aren't able to accomplish that, then I think there's, it's inevitable that it's going to drag out a lot longer than that, in which case you probably aren't going to take advantage of Demko's best years. How confident are you, and I know you said you're skeptical, skeptical but how confident are you in management this offseason being able to move someone like Brock Besser and Connor Garland? Because, I mean, Besser's putting up the points, but I don't think either of them have really made it easier for the management group to move on from them this off season, as opposed to last, last off season. Yeah. With Besser, it's tough because it isn't just the, the lack of uh, goal scoring, but defensively, if teams are scouting him and watching close closely, it's, it's been really strange to see the regression of his, for example, board play, which used to be a really solid part of his game where he could win a lot of puck battles there. And overall, sort of being a defensive liability, especially in uh, the first couple months of the season, where he, it was totally uncharacteristic of him. So it's been a really, really rough campaign for him. That said, his long-term track record is still pretty attractive, and I expect there to be interest. The the I, I think the the big X factor here is whether the Canucks are willing to eat a bit of salary, because if if I'm a contender, I'm looking at Brock Bastion going at 6.65. That's, that's too high. That's too high for me, especially for a contract that has another two years after this one. But if it's, let's say a $5 million cap it for Bessa, then all of a sudden I'm a lot more interested, interested. So I think part of it comes down to management's sort of like desire to whether they want to retain a bit of salary or not, just to get Bessa off the books and maybe bring in a little bit of value. Garland, I think is going to be more difficult to move. Because his size, I think, is right off the back going to be an immediate drawback for a lot of uh, a lot of teams. And there was really, you know, very limited interest in him in him in the summer as well. So 
I think Garland's going to be tough, uh, tougher than Besser to move. I think Besser, they'll still be able to uh, find a market, and whether it's at the deadline or, or in the offseason, I think they'll be able to move from Besser. Garland might be tough. They may be looking at a buyout. Um, and then Myers, I think you should be able to get done once his bonus is, uh, is paid. So there is, I think, an ability to move more money perhaps than, uh, than last offseason where all they could really accomplish was Jason Dickinson. But you're still looking at uh, a lot of other inefficient contracts on the books that you're stuck with, like an OEL, uh, probably still a JT Miller. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's uh, what you kind of have to keep in mind. Harm, before we even get to the offseason, this team still has 33 games to play in this regular season. Now, with all the changes now, the talk that's surrounded uh, this franchise, you know, what would you consider success or a successful remaining 33 games in this season with the new coach, with the departure of Bo Horvat, what should this team consider success for the next two and a half months? It's tough because honestly, the best thing for this franchise would be to tank um, to get the highest draft pick possible. Now, obviously it's not as if the players and the coaches are going to feel that way from their perspective, from the coaching staffs, at least anyway, it's going to be about building relationships. It's going to be about figuring out if you're trying to carve out an identity, you're trying to build better, defensive habits better practice habits sort of overhaul the culture then figuring out who is committed to that who is committed to being a long-term canuck and is willing to buy in and and is willing to sort of um sort of understand that the next couple seasons might be painful but they're committed to the long haul as opposed to look some players are, are going to look at the situation in vancouver and they're going to sulk and they're not they're they're going to they might not be as uh, as committed, and, and I think a big part of the coaching staff's job is going to figure out who's in and, and who's out. So I think that's going to be important over the next 33 games. I think um, eventually you'll probably see Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkosen called called up. I think their development and rebuilding their confidence is going to be essential because I think both players kind of um, stagnated this season and didn't have a, have a lot of confidence. That's going to be essential, and then, um, and then, yeah. I mean, ultimately, for me, I just can't get uh, get over the fact that we can talk about all these other factors related to the, to the on ice product and overhauling the culture. Ultimately, the most important part is just netting the highest draft pick possible. Hey, Harmon, really appreciate you taking the time. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Thanks. That is Harmon Dial of the Athletic. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Harmon Dial. Two, uh, some interesting stuff there. That last question is is something we can maybe talk a bit about more on the other side. But the the interesting part is like to Harmon's point, you don't like if you're a Canucks fan, you don't really want to see the team win games for the rest of the season. No, they're going to win some because they have a pretty soft schedule, but you still want to see progress from guys like. Like Carm mentioned, Vasily Podkolz and Niels Hoaglander, if they get mm-hmm. back to the NHL, you want to see some moves made. But it's just – it's hard to figure out what we want to see from the remainder of this season for the Canucks. I think our, our text box is filled up every day with people saying tank and they want the team to lose. And and it makes sense if in the, in the grand scheme of things. But you're never going to ask players or coaches – 
to do that and they're not wired that way they're going to go out there and want to perform and play and win every single night which is great you want that from your team so that's why i asked harm that question because i'm i'm just kind of grappling with you know what do we want to see here for the next two and a half months and i guess in the grand scheme of things you want to see this team not win but you also don't want to see six one losses Mm -hmm. i'd rather you know watch this team i think this fan base would rather watch this team to to be competitive, to be hard to play against, to play a bit faster with a bit more structure, as, as Rick Tockett has said on numerous occasions. And maybe you're losing games 3-2 and just saying, oh, we didn't have the horses tonight to, to get the job done. And, and that's going to come later, but you're building the foundation for the future. The risk is, I think it was, we have the third easiest schedule remaining. Uh, and the Canucks just have a lot they still have a lot of talent they still have a good power play they still can score goals in bunches when when they want to they're going to win some hockey games it, it could be uh difficult for this team to to really lose to a point where they're in the bottom five of the nhl and have a legitimate shot at drafting connor bedard but I think Rick Tockett and his staff, as they come in, just want to see that progression, that player development, and build those relationships, like like Harm said, uh, to progress for, for years to come and, and really lay down the building blocks. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to coaching and what we want to see, like what management wants to see Rick Tockett introduce as far as habits go, practice habits, structure the team is playing with, because it's that's the thing that you want to carry over into next season. I, I think... We can go through it more on individual levels uh, for the rest of the season on the other side. But for guys like if you do end up keeping them through the deadline, Brock Besser, Connor Garland, Thatcher Demko, if you are pro tank, which I think most people are at this point, you want to see those players rebuild their value and get back to a point where they are positive assets. And Demko is obviously still a positive asset, but more specifically Besser and Garland, you want to see them get to a point where teams look at them and they say, hey, that's a guy that will provide surplus value on that contract. And I don't know if the Canucks would still get a haul back for either of them, especially based on the winger market, but at least get to a point where you're not sacrificing value just to get rid of their contracts. You want them to be positive assets, but not positive enough that they win a ton of games. Yeah, just score some goals, but Strike only that when balance. You, yeah, just make sure the team loses by one every night, every time, and that's fine. People are going to be people would be pumped if you're losing games five four four three. Yeah, they look great. It just didn't happen tonight. Yeah, Spencer Martin wasn't that. I don't know. Ah, ah, that'll happen. <laughs> uh, it is the People Show. Josh Elliott, Wolf, Ben Basserin. Uh, you can always text in six fifty six fifty the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we're going to hit the break on the other side. We'll talk about this a little bit more. And also, Trevor Linden was on Canuck Central yesterday. Uh, spoke about a few things that we will touch on as well. That's coming up next. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf, Ben Bassman, Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to the People Show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf and Ben Batrin on Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Net, net, net. net. Text in 65650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And this hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota All-Star team, AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Check them off. Got them all done, I think. Uh... We were talking about this before the break. So we were talking about what a successful season for the rest of the year is for the Canucks. And obviously for a lot of Canucks fans, and I think even Canucks management, it probably doesn't include winning a lot of games. Ideally, you would do the opposite. You right. would lose a lot of games. They can go 33-0 and too. That'd be pretty cool. Well, that would be kind of impressive. You know what? We'd either, have a lot to talk either about. Either go 33-0 and or just suck. Yeah. No in between. No. Um, I have a sneaky feeling that they're going to find a way. To go 33-0? and 0? No. Oh. <laughs> to be right in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I will say, so whenever I, I, I see this a lot from like Canucks fans online or online mm-hmm. or in the text box or whatever. Um, when you look at the standings, what, what Canucks fans are worried about is that Vancouver's going to find a way to win a bunch of games. They're going to get a new coach bump, and they're going to end up picking, like, 10th to 15th. And while I think that is possible, if you start doing the math on where they are in the standings and the amount of points, the NHL is really good at making it seem like you're closer to teams ahead of you than you are. Right. And that that's a big part of their point system, and that's why a lot of teams think they're in a playoff chase when they really aren't in a playoff chase. It would take a lot for the Canucks to even move up a couple spots right now. They are six points behind the St. Louis Blues. They have a couple games in hand, so I wouldn't say that's out of the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. But then you go beyond that. Detroit is seven points ahead of them, but Detroit has one game in hand. Philadelphia, eight points ahead of them. Same with Ottawa. And then it's a big jump to Florida, Nashville, and the Islanders. Um... But I just can't see the Canucks dropping past the bottom seven of the NHL. I can't see them passing a team like St. Louis mm-hmm. or Detroit. Philadelphia, I think, while they have their issues, they've they've garnered they've gained so many points already that I can't see the Canucks passing them. And eight points is a lot. Eight points is a make lot up. to make up. And so that's why I'm not really concerned about the Canucks are comfortably in the bottom seven yes okay and now it's all about losing more games and mm-hmm. and trying to get trying to make sure montreal doesn't do worse than you right seeing if you can have a team like san jose pass you <laughs> but you obviously you can't do anything to make that happen right but well you can well you if, can kind of you start if you, sh- if you keep shedding players yeah shutting players down hey maybe Maybe a couple key players are dealing with nagging injuries and go get surgery. Yeah, hey, 
Get it done. Right. By the way, Andre, uh, not Andre, Ilya Mikheyev underwent successful surgery today on that uh, ACL mm-hmm. and uh, should begin his rehab soon, according to one Canucks GM, Patrick Alvin. And it's supposed to be ready for training camp. Supposed to be ready for training and camp. And I really hope for the Vancouver Canucks sake that he is ready for training camp. Yeah, otherwise. Because the- if he's not, and we just, and this city and this organization this organization decided to get surgery for him on February 1st. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the other part of it is like, as far as the standings go and shutting players down, obviously you can't force a player to sit, mm-hmm. but you can do everything possible to be like, Hey, you need to be 110% before you come back. So let me ask you a question here. The Demko got hurt, I believe December 1st. Somewhere around there. So, like, early December, uh, it was a Florida game. The initial prognosis was four to six weeks. We're at two months now. Are you attributing that to, it's actually, it was a worse injury than we initially thought? Or is that, really want you to take your time, all-star breaks here, take that week, obviously, and then get back when you're 100%? Or is there some, you know really we don't we don't need you right now yeah I, I think it's a combination of both like you want Demko to be healthy the other part of it is like goaltender hip injuries specifically are mm-hmm. always weird yeah uh and it, it Woodley has talked about this more and is obviously more knowledgeable but it's just you do want that player to be a hundred percent ready to come back when they come back and it's especially uh important in the Canucks situation where they want a possible asset in Thatcher Demko to not rush back and, and injure himself more because then not only is that hurting your team because who knows what the long-term ram- ram- ramifications are. That's a big word. Yeah, ramifications. Go. Not really a big word. Uh, <laughs> are for Demko and how that impacts the Canucks, but how hard it would be to deal a goalie that now has injury problems and is injury prone i think it goes both ways for that if you want to deal him you want to show that he's healthy he can be at the top of his game he can be he can play like he did last year where he really took this team on his back and was superman for for the squad and made their record look a lot nicer than it probably should have been and if you don't want to deal him and he's the goalie of your immediate to medium future you want to make sure he's healthy i i think that there's been a lot of speculation around the injuries, rightly so, given about given what Quinn Hughes said earlier about Tanner Pearson and him being shut down and now Mikheyev shut down. I think they want to make sure Thatcher Demko comes back 100% and he's totally okay. Because if you rush that one and he gets hurt again next year, this entire plan could be in jeopardy. Yeah, if, if you do expect to try to be competitive within the next couple of years and you don't deal Demko, you need him to be a big part of right. being competitive. Or you need him to be a, a trade piece, one of the few, as, as Harm said in our, in our last segment, being a trade piece that can get you assets in return to help build you know, your squad out. And if he gets hurt again next year, that's not going to help anybody with that. Yeah. And, and I will say, as far as being a trade asset, I do think if the Canucks, and we've talked about this a lot this week with the Thatcher Demko name coming up in trade conversation. I do think 
because what Harm mentioned, they have such limited assets and especially especially guys that can get you something tangible in return. Like for Brock Besser, I I it's hard to gauge what his market is, but I would have a hard time seeing them getting anything more than like a B minus prospect or a second or third rounder. And even that you might have to retain salary for just because of how weird the trade market is, or you're, you're taking back a contract that you're, you're kind of hoping a guy pans out Mm -hmm. and maybe at a different position. We talked on this, um, on one of the post post game shows we did a couple weeks back. There's just not a lot of money to spend in the NHL right now. And it's very easy for a lot of people to say, we got to move Brock. We got to move Garland. These guys got to go. We got to shed that salary and and open things up for ourselves. But other teams don't have the money to spend. They they can't take those those contracts on. And so the Canucks have to be creative in their way they do this. You know, they're retaining 25% of Horvat's salary for, for this season with the Islanders. Mm-hmm. And as, as Harmon said, that might have to be something that is done again if you want to continue to move players before the deadline. Uh, it is the People Show, Josh Elliott, Wolf, Ben Basser, and you can text in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, this one, I can see Demko and, per- and Pedersen carrying this team to a much later pick, like somewhere between 10th and 12th overall. Uh, while I do think both those players, like Demko, if he comes back and he's healthy, he is going to help them win games. But let let's do the math on this. So right now the Detroit Red Wings are picking, uh, let me bring it up. They are picking 10th, or sorry, 9th. Philly, Philly is 10th. Philly is 10th. Mm-hmm. So for the Canucks to pass Detroit, let's say Detroit plays 500 for the rest of the year. Sure. Or sorry, let's say they play somewhere between, so they have 34 games left. Let's say they win 14 of them, they lose 17 in regulation, and then they win a couple, or they win three in overtime. Lose three. Lose three in overtime. Thank yep. you. They would get right around, so 31 points. They would get 81 points on the season. Vancouver, to pass them, would have to... 38 points. Like They're not getting Yeah, that. they would have to get 38 points in 33 games. They're not doing that. Exactly. And so that's just to get to ninth. Yeah. And that's why I, I get why people are concerned, and we, we talked about it. It's... It's really hard to gain spots in the standings right now. Oh, yeah. The Canucks are not getting past the top 10. Or I should say the bottom 10. Yeah. They're not They're not gaining that much ground. Yeah. Especially after losing your number one goal scorer. Yeah. And that's the other thing as well. We got a text in the break. Uh, the Canucks just lost their number one power play option. And that's true as well. Like that, I wouldn't be surprised if because the power play... It's relied on Bo Horvat, and I wouldn't say relied, but Bo Horvat has been heavily featured in the power play and, mm-hmm. and kind of been the focal point of it for so many years. Even when Brock Besser was on the left side, like with the one-timer, Patterson with mm-hmm. the one-timer, it was still always Bo Horvat in the bumper is the main option. Yeah. And now that option is gone. So there's going to be a lot of fundamental changes to the Canucks power play, mm-hmm. and I just struggled to see them being as good on the power play as they have been so far this year. And that's another thing that'll bring them down in the standings or at least keep them where they are right now. Yeah, when when they're winning hockey games, they are scoring on the power play. Recently, their power play hasn't been as good. 
the loss of Horvat is going to make a difference on this team. People can point to faceoffs being a stat that doesn't matter as much. He took a lot of important faceoffs in the defensive and offensive zone for power plays. Maybe he'll start a kill sometimes. You lost that. That's gone. It's going to have an impact on this team. I don't see them getting the necessary points and wins to climb out of the basement necessarily. But to be fair, I also don't see them being that bad to be with the likes of an Anaheim, a Chicago, a Columbus. They're not going to be that bad. I think the sweet spot for the Canucks at the end of the season will be somewhere in between the number five to number eight worst team. I will say they might end up picking between 10 and 12 as well. That's out of their control, though. But that could be the Islanders pick. Right. So because as as the protection goes on the pick, I, I think we've mentioned it on air before, but just to reiterate, the Islanders have the choice of it is a top 12 protected pick, but they have the choice of giving it to the Canucks this year if they want to. And that's something that, hey, maybe if they end up getting 12th overall, the Canucks get 12th overall plus whatever their pick is this year. And I think that kind of hinges on what else maybe Lou Lamorello does before the deadline or how talks go with Bo Horvat. Like, he can make that decision at that point. Mm -hmm. I think he put the protection on to save just in case the Islanders start to really falter and they get an opportunity at a top five pick or somebody named Connor Bedard. They don't have to give that one up. You don't want to let that go. No. Uh, it is the People Show. Josh Elliott, Wolf, Ben Bastron on Sportsnet 650. Uh, keep your texts coming in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, I did want to get into this. So we were talking before the break about what we want to see from the team for the rest of the season. So we talked about Demko a little bit. We talked about Besser and Garland. Uh, mainly in respect to those three regaining their value and being guys that you can trade in the offseason and get positive value back for. And Demko, again, I will say it's like he has the positive value right now, especially with his contract, but teams do want to see him be healthy, and that that's going to be part of it for him. I do want to take a look at some other players. So I don't know if there's much more I want to see from someone like Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes. Except maybe taking more of a leadership role. Yeah. That's more off the ice stuff. Right. I want to see those guys. Maybe, maybe they're talking to the media more. Maybe yep. you see them in practice, kind of trying to control things a little bit more. But even then, I I don't know if we would really know about it yep. anyway, because that's stuff that kind of goes on on the ice stuff. You're good. Yeah, you do whatever you want to do. Uh, past that, so then we get to like the veteran category, where people have had their issues with these guys, JT Miller and. Oliver Ekman Larson. And with these two, so I think Miller's different than Ekman Larson, but I think for JT, you want to see him buy into Rick Tockett's system. And you want to see him play consistently well at center. And and that's probably the biggest thing moving forward for him. I love that. I think buying into Rick Tockett's system is essential. And as I said in our first segment, you know, now he's going to be a center for this team. He has more responsibility defensively. Uh, can't afford to make as many careless mistakes. We know he brings the passion. We know he brings the intensity and the effort and has, you know, is an ultimate competitor. That's great. Can you buy into the system and get the people around you 
going to and you kind of said you want to focus maybe he needs to focus on himself and and that's awesome maybe he does but he needs to be able to continue I'm not asking him to put up 99 points like he did last year that was fantastic that was that was awesome but now with Horvat gone he's stepping into a role that he hasn't necessarily had to play yet on this team and that's going to be a leadership role on and off the ice as a centerman and he, it's going to have more responsibility. And I think if he can show that in the next 30 games that he accepts that role, he embraces it, and, and can thrive, I think it's going to be really good for this team moving forward to know that they have that option at center for the next seven years. <laughs> for the next seven years. Get get used to hearing Miller's name. Uh, but another part of that. So do you want to see him contain himself more on the ice like emotionally and and having being less of a guy that's very reactionary or do you think that's part of his game that he needs to he it like to me it might be something he kind of relies on to stay involved in games especially down the stretch when there isn't going to be a lot of emotion in these games I'm an advocate for doing what it takes for you to play at your best I think that's what it takes for him to get himself going and if, if that's what it takes, you do it. I'm not worried about body language too much about him. He's, these guys are professionals. He's a professional athlete. I don't think it, I think it sets a bad tone if he's yelling at his teammates about stuff that they're not doing. But if he's doing, if he's slamming a stick against the boards and that gets him going to play better, great. And I think we have this kind of two-faced notion about when guys that are superstars that get really mad at their teammates or get really frustrated with themselves... You think about Michael Jordan in The Last Dance, what these guys called him as his teammates. Well, he didn't seem like a very nice guy, but they're like, but he really wanted to win, so he did it for a reason. And also, he was Michael Jordan. He, right. And yeah. and so, I'm not saying JT Miller was Michael Jordan, but I'm well, saying... Well, that if, sounds like what... I'm just kidding. I'm saying, if, if he's taking that mindset of, this is what it's going to take for me to get competitive, and I want to bring that out in my teammates, then great, do that. But if it's becoming a detriment and people in the room, not that we know this or that anybody has privy or access to this, if it's becoming a thing saying, hey, stop doing that out there, then he has to know that too. And and only they know that in the room. If if JT Miller can continue to, to play with his heart on his sleeve and, and bring that energy, and that's only going to improve his game, and, and it's kind of, that's what he says, mm-hmm. that that's how he plays, then great. But if it's a detriment to the team, then you got to step back and cool it off a little bit. Definitely. And so I do have another question. So Miller's obviously going to have to play at center moving forward. It's it's kind of a non-negotiable right now with Horvat gone. Uh, the other question I have coming out of the Horvat trade is obviously they acquired Anthony Beauvillier. I think he's going to get a shot uh, in the Canucks top six. But do you think, do you see anyone else on this roster right now that you kind of view as a guy that maybe deserves more of an opportunity moving forward. Like we've seen under Rick Tockett's system or since Rick Tockett has taken over and it's Mm -hmm. only been three games, but someone like Dakota Joshua has kind of been given more opportunity. So we were both at the Chicago game that they won. And for the first two periods of that, Jack Studnika was playing on a line with Bo Horvat and I think Brock Besser. Yeah. So he kind of got an opportunity there. He didn't play the third period with them. I didn't. I don't think he played that well with them. And Dakota Joshua got that position. He scored in the third period that game. And I think for everything that we can expect, Dakota Joshua has been a 
a very solid piece for this Canucks team. He's a bottom six forward, but he brings an energy and an intensity that's really good for this team. That this team doesn't really have it. He has a bit of grit. He scored a couple big goals this year. I would like to see him continue his play and continue to get opportunities to grow because power forwards don't necessarily grow on trees. And if you can get a power forward that can score 15-ish goals a year, be able to drop the gloves with anybody when something happens, mm-hmm. lay a hit, bring that energy, that's valuable. And I, I see that potential in Dakota Joshua. He's proven that uh, to this fan base and to this organization this year. Um, so I, I would like to see him continue to get more opportunities. He could be a big presence uh, in front of the net possibly. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that can be done with him, but I'm impressed with how he's played this year. The bar is not all the way up here with him, but <laughs> yeah. he's done well. And I think yeah. he deserves the credit for that. Yeah, I would say even if he keeps playing the way he has been playing for the rest of this season, that's good. That's That's kind of what I expected. But if he starts to exceed that even a little bit I have a lot more hope in in him moving forward especially because next year he's on a on a very cheap contract less than a million um and and the other part of that is if you're the Canucks and again we keep talking about this Jim Rutherford Patrick Alvine they seem to want to be competitive in two to three seasons if you Rutherford's words Rutherford's words if you want to uh get competitive in that window you need to find guys that exceed your expectations mm-hmm. for cheap and I wonder if like the, the Canucks have obviously been taking a lot of chances on guys you you mentioned Jack Stanika Sheldon Dries to a lesser extent uh, and then on the back end Ethan Bear Travis Dermott Riley Stillman obviously the first two have worked out a bit better than the last one mm-hmm. but a guy like Dakota Joshua if he can work out and be more of a middle six forward than a bottom six forward that in and of itself is a win. Absolutely. And I think there's there's a lot of examples um, for, I wouldn't say risks, but chances the Canucks have taken on some guys. And, and some of them just have not panned out. Like Curtis Lazar was brought to this team to to bring energy, to try to kill penalties, to, to be a big PK guy. He hasn't been great this year. Uh, he's been a disappointment um, for this team. And you know, he, he seems like it seems like he's a great guy in the room. He's a great presence to have, and that's awesome. But the on the ice performance hasn't been great. I mean, this this penalty kill is, I think it's the worst penalty kill all time at this point. Yeah, since they started keeping the track of it. Yeah, it is it, all time NHL history. Right. If the season ended right now, this would be the worst penalty kill. <laughs> right. So there's some serious flaws in this team, and chances <laughs> yeah, you that think? Yeah, that, yeah, that management's taken obviously haven't all panned out. So you'd like to see management maybe take a bit, kind of change up their personnel a little bit and kind of focus on bringing in guys, as you said, that are, could be cheap, but could also fill the holes that this team needs and and really surround your top guys and your core, which you're slowly starting to mold together here with the likes of Petey, Hughes, Miller. Okay, that's our core moving forward. You've made it pretty clear. Now you got to fill out the edges. Mm-hmm. And you have to find guys that aren't going and this is kind of the issue previous management had is they were like okay here's here's the core that we can build around but then they spent way too much money on on the guys that they thought would surround Mm -hmm. the key players and this management group to their credit like look I'm not going to say they've hit a home run on any of the players they've acquired yet but they're not spending a lot to 
take these chances like previous management did. Yeah, talk it this morning, uh, talking with Mike, Mike Halford, you know, talked about some of the guys that came to Pittsburgh when uh, they went on their back-to-back run. You know, they talked about guys like Nick Medi- Nick Benino, Trevor Daly, guys stepping up like like Jake Gensel from, from the A. Like, there's guys that weren't that expensive then that really stepped up their game and got the job done. And if the Canucks want to be a successful franchise, it's not like their upper-end talent is better than the contender's upper-end talent throughout the league. What has to separate you is what surrounds those people. That has been the downfall for many teams in the NHL that we know of, could be in this country, could be east of us, that have really good talent at the very top, but just don't have the depth to win uh, deep into the playoffs in the NHL. Uh, it is the People Show, Josh Elliott Wolf and Ben Bastrin. I almost said Israel Fair. He's not here today. He's on vacation. It's just me. It's just, it's just Ben. By the way, so we're getting texts on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. This one from J.A. Producer Ben has a very soothing voice. I'd love to hear him on the air more often. Thanks. <laughs> That's very kind. Have of you. you ever considered your voice uh, soothing? Everyone says my dad's voice very, is very soothing. but wow. uh, Maybe you're reaching that point. Apple, As you mature, apple tree. Yeah, there it is. Uh, it is a people's show. We'll talk a bit about, uh, we'll get more into NFL talk on the other side. It is the people's show. Josh Elliott Wolf, Ben Bastrin on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to The People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf, Ben Bassrin on Sportsnet 650. I can always text in 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. And by the way, Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th, hosted by Randy Janda, who's in Florida right now. And was in Toronto. Yeah, before he, that. Is, he is a world traveler. Yeah. I don't know what he was doing in Toronto, but obviously, he was on Tim and Friends. Yeah, I, I do know that. He was in studio. I, Izzy and I were on air at the time, and I look up and I'm like, Randy. Yeah, Cam and I were in the bullpen. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's in Florida now covering the, uh, the All Star game, but he will be at the Clayton Public House on February 12th for, once again, the big football party. On Super Sunday, uh, reserve your table now at ClaytonPub.com. I tried to move away from the mic. I'm sorry if that was still loud. We'll have tailgate and drink specials plus pricing throughout the day. Kickoff is at 3.30 between a team from the Kansas City region and the Philadelphia region. Nice. Um, Caller 5 right now gets a $50 gift card and two reserve seats for the big game on February 12th. Caller 5, 604-280-0650. Call now. The fifth one of you callers gets the gift card and the reserve seats. The Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, good times. Also, later today, not sure what time, but on Canucks Central, one all-star of the Vancouver Canucks. They only have one now. Now there's just one. There's only one. Process of elimination. Yeah. Elias Patterson will join the show. Uh, They will talk about the all-star game, obviously talk about him doing the hardest shot competition and uh maybe a few other things as well uh one thing that Bo Horvat mentioned in his media availability today if he had a vote for captain 
Elias Patterson would be his vote. That means something. That it does. It definitely does mean something. I don't know if it means much to – well, I think it still means something to Canucks management, but – It's not going to make their decision. Yeah. It's also like – But having an ex-captain who just left say, oh, this should be the next guy. Mm-hmm. A guy in the room saying it. It's also got to be pretty nice for Petey to hear. And JT Miller's like, what? Wait, not me? Weren't we buds? I thought, what's going on? That's a that's a tough tough break for Miller. Uh, we did want to, speaking of the big football party, um, we did want to talk some NFL right now. So you weren't, you obviously weren't on air with us yesterday. Uh, Brady retiring again. And one thing I know about you mm-hmm. is that you are a big Whoever the best player in the sport is, you are a big fan of them. I like them. Yes. So you're, a, you're. What are Stop. your thoughts on him retiring? So I mean, it's kind of anticlimactic, anticlimactic because of what happened last year. But you know, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm sad because he's gone, but I'm happy because he had a great career and and kind of he did his last season. It didn't obviously work out, and he didn't have a great team. But it'll be sad for the NFL to lose him. What I think the NFL now has, though, is something great. Like, you look at the quarterbacks that were in the championship games this year. It was fantastic. They were really, really good. Uh, it is the People Show. Josh Elliott, Wolf, Ben Bassarin. Uh, let's switch over to some hockey talk. Brad May joins us now. Thanks for taking the time, Brad. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm sorry about I was. I wanted to be on your, on your show a little earlier with you guys. Um, I'm in Ontario, and the weather out here, I'm not sure what it's like out west, but it's a uh, full-on blizzard snowstorm here oh so, no uh, worries but you know outside of that um loving loving being up here in the in the north yeah so you're uh are you slightly jealous of uh all the players at the all-star game right now getting to hang out in uh, sunny florida or what you know what I, I since i retired i get to spend a little bit of time down south so i'm not jealous but there's no doubt um these players when they do have this opportunity um yeah they're gonna they have a lot of things on their plate obviously commitments and obviously have to play that game but it's nice for them to get down to these nicer climates you'd say in the middle of the winter for certain cities and um for some of these players for sure um i know they're excited to be in south florida so a lot of players kind of uh get invited to the all-star game regularly but a lot of other players don't uh don't end up playing one in their career and you would you would fall into the latter column what did you usually get up to during the all-star break and unfortunately like in my in our eyes you're an all-star but the <laughs> <laughs> hey listen i'm an all-star at the all-star break for sure definitely get up to you know some really fun trips obviously um you, you break it up obviously not many guys do get to play in the all-star game um you know when you're looking at the numbers over 700 players actually 900 players a year that play um you know it's a select few that get get to play but no, all-star break's always a great time. You get together with your buddies. You know, some guys, depending on where they are in their lives, some are young, some are old, some have families. So, of course, all-star break's different for each and every one of them. But um, it's nice to get away, have a few drinks, you know, or whatever you're into. But, um, yeah, you still have to be cognizant and mindful that you have to come back. And you got, seriously, the most important time of the year for most teams anyways is in the playoff push. So um, it's kind of a reset. It is Brad May joining us on the People Show, Josh Elliott Wolf and Ben Bassarin. Uh so one of the All Stars this year, obviously Bo Horvat. Uh we haven't had you on the station since the trade. What are your what are your thoughts on Bo Horvat leaving Vancouver? 
great, great question. I, you know what? I think for everybody that loves Bo and obviously has been able to watch him for nine years, um, I think there's a lot of respect there, right? And his contract year, it's, he's having his best season. And he forced Vancouver's hand in a little bit. Um, I like the move for, for the Canucks, but for Bo Horvat, representing um, the Western Conference but wearing the Islander jersey is somewhat new. Um, not a lot of blockbuster trades happened just prior to the all-star break. So um, this is a good thing for him, but you know what? I like what's happened for Vancouver in the sense that they've got a really good player in um, Bavillier. Um, I really like this guy he's, and he's played in the playoffs. He's played meaningful games. I think he's going to be a contributor for the Canucks. Um, you'll, you'll see him probably on the score sheet, you know, often maybe even more in Vancouver than he was in New York, but um I'm not so sure about the younger players, but the trade was for three first-round draft picks. Adu Raddy has a big upside, and then who knows who they're able to select to deep draft this year. Brad, what what can you say that it's like for for a team to lose a leader like Horvat? You know, what impact does that have on a team on the Canucks? You know, he's obviously the captain, a, a main part of their leadership group. You know what trickle down effect does that have within the room and and on the ice? Give you give, you know the full goods. I think it, it's brutal. Um, obviously, losing that type of player middle of the season. Now, I guess the only benefit is Vancouver's not having a great year and they have time. It's not like they're in the playoff push right now and you know trying to elevate in the standings. Um, obviously, the writing's on the wall. It's every player's going you know been put on notice. If you can trade your captain. And a player having a career year, and I know there's other reasons for it. It's not because they don't want Bull Horvat. It's about, you know, building their team out, you know, going from there. But for every player, it sucks. Um, and for some players, they're going to actually have an opportunity to, to increase their, I say, visibility, but maybe even their, you know, um, their stature in the room. Um, obviously, you have to play well to do that. But um, I think it's an opportunity for players to step up. But there's no doubt every player is being evaluated on a daily basis, even probably more, more precise than that. Um, there's players that are probably already identified that won't be a part of the Rick Tockett and, and um, Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar future um, with Vancouver. And those players are going to have to play their tail off and maybe increase their value by the trade deadline. But um, it's not easy when you lose your captain. Um, it, it's pretty, pretty volatile in that room. But at the end of the day, no player can sit back and, and just rest on their laurels. they got to play, and, and they've been put on notice. You talked a bit about uh, other players in the locker room kind of stepping up in a leadership sense. Uh, Rick Tockett was on the station this morning and said now that Horvat is gone, he expects guys like Patterson and Hughes to, to maybe step up. How long does it take for a player like that to be, to be ready for that step? Like, are they, are they at the age where you'd expect them to start taking over? Well, there's no question. Um, uh, Elias Patterson, he, this guy, what a, what a player, right? He's, he's definitely got the skill set. But you know what? The other thing he needs is he needs, you know, his, the people above him, his mentors, obviously coach, GM, um, to actually bestow him with that honor, you know, and, and both he and Hughes, you know, they've got a nice um, opportunity here in front of them. They've got management on their side, coaching staff on their side to actually, you know, take more of the reins so i think for some players i think it's just an age thing some obviously it's a situational thing for for these players in vancouver but at the end of the day 
do you really do you want to run this thing? Do you want to be a leader? And and you can lead in so many different ways. But um, I like what um, their general manager said about both those players. They both have earned the right. Um, they're both good enough. They're on the ice more than most. And um, you know maybe it's their team. This is like the new new chapter for the Vancouver Canucks. So um, who's that going to be? Um, who's got the most gregarious personality? I would say probably ends up becoming the captain but um you know you can have quiet leaders as, as well i played for a few of them nick lidstrom didn't say much scott niedermeyer didn't say much both hall of famers and boy they let their play speak for themselves and when they did speak in the locker room everybody paid attention so um it all depends on how their teammates re- respond to their to their personalities and it's not like they can come in next week and say hey i'm i'm the leader i'm going to lead you guys um, it's almost by committee. It's it's designated to one of those players, if not both. Brad, speaking about different chapters that a team kind of goes through, you have a very unique perspective for for the Canucks and for the city. You were on, on a team during the Messier era, uh, during some darker times, maybe in Canucks history. You left, but then you came back and were on uh, the West Coast Express era of teams that was very exciting, successful, you know, did well. Can can you speak to just how much can change within a franchise and an organization in a matter of just a handful, just a couple of years? Well, you know what? I, I, I listened to Trevor Linden's um, conversation. Uh, he, he was on a podcast and he was talking you know, this week about obviously the Bo Horvat situation. And he, he was actually went back to 1998 when he was traded to the Islanders as well. And um, talking about, it was dark times. Of course, there was a, you know, ownership change. There was management and coaches changes. They took the C from Trevor and gave it to Mark Messier. I came in halfway through that season. Um, and yeah, it was, it was definitely dark times, dark times in the sense that our team wasn't successful on a nightly basis, but there was a lot of growth in those two years, two and a half seasons that I was in Vancouver. When you saw Marcus Naslin go from being a third line winger scoring seven goals, I believe it was, or eight goals. He obviously got to Vancouver by having a nice season in Pittsburgh, but, um, this player, he turns out to be the captain, and he and he leads the West Coast Express. Todd Bertuzzi was traded in with the Linden deal, which you can see maybe like an Atu Ratty or a Beauvillier comes in, and maybe they actually can you know set the world on fire in Vancouver and really establish themselves. So um, I think when you when you go through these trying times, certainly you know the the adversity that you see, it either builds the character that you want to see or it reveals it, and if you've got the right pieces and the right players, the right mindset, um, it could be a great time for the Vancouver Canucks in the next few years, um, certainly under that new leadership. When you and yeah, when you look at this team and you talk about some some players reacting to it differently, maybe they maybe they handle the adversity well. Do you see similarities between the the issues that this team has gone through? Maybe maybe not the same as far as a captaincy switching or or anything like that, but there, there was turmoil in that Messier era, era, and there's kind of turmoil with the Canucks organization now. Do you see this team as one that's resilient, that's going to come out of this as, as more of a cohesive, better team moving forward? Well, I, I, I would say it's going to be a very different team. Obviously, if we, can, if we can roll this out for the next eight months, go into the next season, and, and see what players are actually going to return, going to be around, there's going to be a lot of, you know, shuffling of, of the deck, um, if, you, if you can say it that way. There's going to be a lot of players that won't be in Vancouver next season. 
and probably by the end of this season. So there's no question there's changes being made there. Um, I'm going to argue or not argue, but just um, challenge you on how dark that time was with Mark Messier. Um, I know Vancouver fans and the people listening to the show, Rob, probably right now, remember back and thinking of um, Mark Messier wasn't that good. Um, he wasn't as good of a hockey player as he once was, of course. He was an older player, but so much was learned by Mark Messier that he imparted on his teammates, myself being one, um, and all these other guys. If you talk to Eddie Jovanovski and you talk to Trent Klatt and, and Sammy Sallow um, and all these other players that actually – actually, I don't think Sammy was on that team with Mark, but um, Matthias Oland, Dave Scatcherd, and I can go down the line with Marcus and Todd and Brendan Morrison – they all really enjoyed their time and they learned a lot from Mark Messier. So I recognize the time of the Vancouver Canucks wasn't so good, but um, Mark Messier's three years in Vancouver, it didn't produce a Stanley cup champion, but um, it certainly helped a lot of good players become much better and average players become regulars in the national hockey league by the preparation. So um, it was a valuable experience. I experienced anyways in Vancouver with Mark. So on that, when when it seems like the fans kind of perceive a player or or a team as something different than is in the locker room, I wonder if there's any similarities between that and kind of what JT Miller is doing now with the Canucks. And maybe not to the same extent, obviously doesn't have the experience that someone like Messier had, but is it is it different in the room when – someone is perceived like Miller now, like Messier there as, as kind of polarizing, but can they be uh, a more of a teacher and a brighter spot in the dressing room? Well, just to, just to get the question correctly, um, we're talking about JT Miller and are we talking about the, the perspective um, of what the fan base views JT Miller? Yeah. Just that would be, that would be awfully different than what's already being perceived in the locker room. I would think. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm asking. Like, is is can players be perceived differently from fans when compared to how they're perceived in the in the locker room? I, okay, great. So I I would say for if I was if I was in Vancouver and I was you know whatever if I was part of management or if I was part of that hockey team part of the coaching staff with J T Miller, I'd sit J T down and and have a real solid conversation. And basically, there's if you try too hard. If you try to fight the river, you're never going to win. The river will always beat you because it's all about momentum and you cannot stop it. And so the only way that a player like JT Miller can really, I would say, get the respect or, or the love of the city and his team would be twofold. His play has to get better, which he's capable of. We saw it last year. Um, he's a good hockey player. Um, but it would be the, the testimonials from his teammates unsolicited that actually will make the difference uh, for you and I to be talking about it. It's all conjecture and speculation. Um, if JT Miller was the one talking about, Hey, I'm going to, I'm the, I'm the best player. I'm going to lead this team. That's going to, that's going to fall on deaf ears. But if these other players, you know, from Quinn Hughes to, to Pedersen to, you know, Kuzmanko, whoever that would be, if they unsolicited, um, say, listen, JT Miller, what a, what a guy, what a, what a change. This guy, you know, what a mentor, what a helper. He, he, he got me through the tough times. Now I'm playing better. If, if these stories start coming out, um, then JT Miller can absolutely change the way he's viewed or seen in, in, in the market in Vancouver. 
he's got seven more years, I believe, that maybe it's even eight um, in Vancouver. He's got to start tomorrow, you know, um, after the All-Star break. He's got to show up and, and just put his head down, put his work boots on, and go to work and be the best he can be. And the hardest part when you're trying to be the best player you can be, you got to be a little bit unselfish, and you got to take those extra moments. Get on the ice early with the young players, stay on the ice late with this backup goaltender and the younger players, and work on your own game but also help the younger guys. And that's the transition that Vancouver find them, finds themselves in, and that's where the best leaders show what they're capable of. There's no doubt that JT Miller has to be part of this leadership group moving forward if this team is to be successful, given that he's going to be here for another seven years. But I wanted to kind of ask you about you know, your experience uh, seeing a couple young players that who developed into the franchise's best players, arguably. You know, when, when you were around the Sedins when they were really, really young, did you get the feeling or the notion that these guys would be eventual leaders of the Canucks? Or is that something... Um, you kind of grow into. We talked about Hughes and Petey um, being in the league now for a few years, and and maybe it's time for them to take that next step in terms of leadership. When you were around Henrik and Daniel uh, when they were really young, did you see that potential in them, or is that a maturation and growth thing? Great question. I think it's certainly a maturation and growth um, thing for sure for every player. Um, I would say when, when I played with them, um, it was in the early 2000s. Um, they were great players. They didn't need anybody to lead them. They were already prepared, right? These guys, and, and they played they, pretty much every day on the ice. They, they played on the same line. They did everything together and looked identical, right? <laughs> identical twins, but um, even their play was identical. Um, I don't know if they were ready because the teammates like myself um, and, and, and others didn't bestow that on them as young players. It was too much pressure possibly, but there's no question. These guys never needed to be leaded or motivated. Um, They were there. So I want to say that their leadership style was just perseverance and consistency and, and, and that, that attempt to be perfect. Um, That's the way those guys prepared. and, And obviously their careers went on that same trajectory and they're in the hall of fame today. So um, yeah, I think it's a maturation process. It takes a few years to get your feet underneath you to be confident enough, you know, in a room full of other men that you actually, your voice matters, your perspective matters. And not only when a guy gets up and he speaks and speaks at the right time and says all the right things, that's all, that's all good. And that's a nice thing for a player. But it's when they actually, you know, when, when the lights are off on the off days where they're actually helping their teammates you know, whether helping them become a better hockey player or just helping them get through that day because they're going through a tough stretch. Um, that's where the leaders are, are made. That's where they're, you know, most respected for sure. Um, in my experience, um, it's not all about the hockey playing. It's about who you are and how you conduct yourself and how you can bring other people together. So all of those things, um, you know, it takes a lot of intangibles to become and to be bestowed with the captaincy or an assistant captain in the NHL. And um, that comes from above for sure, but um, it has to, you have to be respected by your teammates if you're going to be successful. Hey Brad, we uh, really appreciate your time and insights. Have a good one. Hey, thanks guys. Have a good one. Thank you. That is Brad May joining us on the people show, Josh Elliott Wolf and Ben Basrin. Uh, some good insights on, on leadership and uh, what that could look like with the Canucks 
moving forward. Uh, right now, it is time for the People's Picks brought to you by Play Now Sports. Uh, get a $5 free bet when you make a $25 same-game parlay wager on NFL games. Conditions apply. Must be 19+. plus. So we're still looking ahead to the Super Bowl. Uh, let's take a look at some of the odds for an anytime scorer. Uh, just anytime, not first touchdown scorer, would be... Sorry, i got to pull it up. Um, A.J. Brown, if he gets one touchdown in the game, would pay out a $10 bet, would be $21.50. So that could be something you'd look at on Play Now Sports. That's the People's Picks brought to you by Play Now Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. That's the People's Picks. This has been the People's Show. Josh Elliott Wolf. Thanks to my co-host, Ben Bassard, filling in today. We'll also be here tomorrow uh, when we will talk to Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine. Uh, thanks to the people behind the glass, Elon, Victorn, and Dom. Uh, Connect Central coming up next. Elias Patterson joining the show. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. That is up next on Sportsnet 650.